You're listening to Mike and Kristen. The podcast. I'm Mike, a musician, writer, and producer. And I'm Kristen, a painter, writer, and designer. Our show is all about following dreams, taking chances, and what life as an artist is really about. Together, we bring you weekly guest interviews and thought-provoking conversations. Let's go! It is January 17th. 2024 and we are here with another episode of Mike and Kristen. What's going on, Kristen Ray Harrington? Well, we have a lot going on right now. A lot of excitement around. Let's get right into it. Magic Come on. land yeah, this yeah. part. Well, do you want me to start listing things? List. Get a list going. Well, so just today I am actually starting my second online program that I am the student in. So I'm I'm part of a business program. That I've signed up for this year. So Wednesday and Thursday mornings, I'm doing that. And tonight marks opening night of Curiosity Club's The Artist Way, also oh. online, that I am leading. So I'm both a teacher and a student today and releasing a new podcast episode. And we have just launched our very own fundraiser for Mike one, and Kristen. Yeah. So back over to you to explain what that fundraiser is. So since we are going to three international podcast conferences in the United States of America, in Orlando, Austin, and Los Angeles, we are trying to, you know, raise a little money to to make this a little more not in the holy, you know, that's how you say it. <laughs> not in the holy, because we currently yeah. are, we're a little holy right now. Yeah, a little holy. In the black or in the red? In the red is when yeah. you're in the hole, but it's well worth it. The whole intention behind going to these podcast conferences is to improve and offer some new services, learn about marketing, learn about sponsorship. So we know some of these areas that we want to get better at, but we've kind of parked them until we get the education as to how to do it right. Well, and we don't know what we will learn as well. Yeah, we the unexpected. Know what we want to learn, but there's obviously things that could come up that we're not expecting and just, just, uh, endless ways that we can improve as podcast hosts and maybe maybe our interviewing style gets better maybe we just learn how to book different types of guests who knows what it will be but maybe we'll learn how to have ai do the whole interview for us we don't even have to do anything yeah uh, maybe no i wouldn't i wouldn't want that <laughs> no <laughs> well and I'm, i kind of chuckle because we're calling it a fundraiser but it's really just for sale packages that we have. Yeah. So it's there's a lot of and we've actually tailored each of our six packages that are available on our website to have more value than what we're charging. Yeah. The first tier is ten dollars and that you get a downloadable album, which is about ten dollars plus five high quality digital images that you uh off your art. So in that, I don't know how much that would cost, but it, it's worth more than $10. Yeah, every tier is worth more than what we're selling yeah. it for. So so fundraiser, yeah, kind of, but we're also going to work for it. Well, yeah, we are fundraising, but we're selling our products. Yeah, so, for a specific purpose. I think that's what's different about, about this initiative. And everything from the $10 tier I mentioned up to a $5,000 tier. Yeah. Which uh, you get, I don't know, we, we should add up the value and see what you actually get for it, but it's probably worth about 7000 or so. so. Yeah. Well, and speaking of having a lot on the go, like you and I, today's guest, Sophia Ray, 
is only 17 years old and we actually had a very honest conversation with her before we started recording about her looking to us and saying, so how do you guys keep keep track of everything or stay organized? Because she, as only a young woman, is already kind of looking at how to manage that in her own life because she has so many amazing projects on the go herself. She's one of the most incredible people I've ever talked to. Truly. She's still in high school. We really didn't know what to expect for this interview, not because she's young, but because after reading the accomplishments that she's had, the goals that she has achieved, and and really where she plans to go in her future, it felt like this is such an accomplished person. How are we ever going to do justice to the good work that she's offering to the world? Oh, yeah. Plus, she's only 17. Mm -hmm. So that was almost a side note to recognizing what she would have to offer. Yeah, she's so well-spoken. Her vocabulary as a, a young girl in high school is through the roof. She's just answers questions with, with such articulation and thought. And just she's she's really has a grasp on things and... Her parents, her upbringing has really, uh, really helped shape this. You and I spoke after about the impact of having parents with that sort of insight and value system in their in their home and the outcome of what a wonderful human being that that can create. So they yeah. prioritize things like mindfulness and talking and therapy and gratitude and she has Sophia has embodied this learning from her parents and is now able to share that with her peers and and the world really she does a lot of different things she's a musician she does public speaking she's also a podcast host podcast of her own host. and she collaborates a lot with her mother and their work really is born from this outlook on mental health and wanting to support others they themselves as a family have been through a lot yeah Sophia shares her personal experience of losing her aunt as part of the Portapic tragedies that happened yeah. in Nova Scotia that we get into and that's something the whole province felt but to have someone that close to home experience that she really is grounded in being able to provide these talks to other others and understand what grief really feels like at a young age. Yeah, she's going to high schools, to conferences, to to all these different events and sharing ways in which people can can cope with with hard feelings and a lot of people might think like oh, a 17-year-old, what are they going to tell me? But she is just incredible and she has been doing this her whole life and she's been around this her whole life and she has an amazing message to share. I will also say that sometimes when we're meeting people for the first time podcasting, we can look up their resume and their bio and watch some of their videos, listen to their to their songs and that gives us some level of understanding of who we're going to be sitting across from, but you can't really know someone until you spend time with them. And Sophia, after she left, we just both felt like we had met an, a beautiful person, just a really yeah. incredible soul. Aside from all of the accomplishments that she has under her belt, she's just a real salt of the earth human being who I'm so happy is in our world now. Definitely. I think people will really like this episode and be impressed with her the same way we were. 
So yeah, let's let's dive in and and again back to the the fundraiser. If you want to check it out, it's uh, we'll have a link in the show notes. But mikeandkristen.ca slash fundraiser. Everything from ten dollars up to five thousand, and <laughs> and everything in between. Everything in between, and you can also we've had a couple people actually write and say, "Well, I'm interested in this and this, but I, the other stuff I already ha- already have or whatever. I, I don't need that." So we just kind of crafted their own tier to to make sense to them. Yeah, we can do a custom tier. Yeah. We'd happy to do that. So. Yeah, check that out. And uh, we have all of the links for Sophia's work in the show notes as well. And rather than doing an introduction for this episode, we are going to be playing one of her beautiful songs. So you can Lonely. enjoy that too. Her song Lonely, just uh, I think it hit 10,000 streams on the old Spotify there. Yeah, not too shabby. Yeah, she's. it sounds great. Produced by Jason Mingo, a guy I know. I used to play music with him in various capacities. And uh, Jason's wife, uh, Megan Smith, I think she... He was nominated for Wanna Juno. I can't remember. Wanna Juno. Yeah. So, Both yeah. very impressive people, yeah. as is Sophia. This is, yeah, a very special episode. Sophia, we're really proud of you. And yeah, keep doing the good work, Sophia. You're amazing. Cheers, everyone. That's kind of a natural human tendency. To it really is. I have to check myself because I find sometimes I'll say like filler words a lot. There's an NBA basketball player and there's this famous clip where he says, you know, I think it's 78 times in one interview. Yeah. And doesn't realize it. You, you don't realize yeah, you're doing just... it later. I had the good advice from, so I have the benefit of knowing two very pro Public speakers, former oh, news anchors, yeah. uh, Nancy Regan and Elise Hand. I love Nancy. They're both. Oh my god. They're both amazing, right? Okay, <laughs> so you on get Canadian it. Canadian Love Map. Okay, Nancy. Oh, yeah. Nice. So okay. we've I've done Love Map a couple of times. But, oh, she's uh, so awesome. She just makes yeah. you feel so at ease. But I was asking both of them their advice on eliminating yeah. some of these filler words and how you might go about that. And they, their approach is very different from one another, but they often oh. work together okay. in giving workshops and how to do this and. So Elise is a lot more technical and she would invite you to go back and re-listen to episodes and pay attention to when you do it, which I've started doing and it's been super helpful. And Nancy's more of the mind of remind yourself that you're the person that has something to offer Mm. so that you're giving more of your authentic self because sometimes those filler words can be out of nerves. Yeah. So yeah, that was good advice I found. It's really interesting. came up. Yeah, they're two really incredible people. I have a lot of respect for them. So how are you doing, Sophia? You're a talented young lady with a million things on the go, and we are so glad you're here. What's uh, the last little while been like for you? Yeah, it's been really busy. Thank you for having me, by the way. I really appreciate oh. this. Um, but you're right. When you say I have a million things on the go, sometimes it feels a little too overwhelming. Yeah. The past month, since December 15th, has been... Uh, press and just everything regarding regarding the song, which has yeah. been a lot in its own little thing as well, because I've never done something like that before. Mm. And like, yeah, I've marketed like the podcast and I've done my marketing for public speaking, but it's a whole different field, I find. Yeah, the well, the whole marketing side of putting a song out is completely different, different than the yeah. creative process of actually bringing a song to life. Yeah. What was 
actually creating the song? Like, have you always been a creative person, a songwriter, playing instruments? Yeah, it's a good question. When I was really, so my family, we love music. It's just always been intertwined throughout everything we do. And I think I probably started playing the piano when I was like six or seven, but I just, I'm, I don't know. I was more of a singer. My voice is my instrument. And so I never really took to like the piano, the guitar. I've got a basic knowledge on how to create music with them, but it's not like super high level. And so it's my instrument. The guitar is the instrument that I use to write my songs, but I do wish I had like more of a profound understanding of it. But anyways, you'll get there. I hope so. I hope I can pick it up and, but and get there. You don't need a deep understanding as long as you can, I can play pick chords. it up and create what <laughs> yeah. you need to. Like Yeah. It's like and even someone who's been playing for a long time like myself, like I'm I'm not thinking of like oh, I'm playing this chord into this chord. I'm yeah. just playing what sounds good to me. Yeah. And if and and obviously having a few more uh uh, tricks up your sleeve might help it your songwriting nice. grow. Yeah. So, but you you don't have to become a virtuoso no. on there. <laughs> See, that's the thing that I struggle with too. Is like wanting to be the best at everything that yeah. I pick up, right? So, and that's why songwriting has been so hard for me because it started when I was fourteen and I was, had difficulty sitting down and writing a song that I didn't like. I found that really difficult because I had an idea of what I wanted it to be. And I just wanted to get there. I didn't want to have to do all the work that came before you had the masterpiece. Mm. And so I think that's what my journey has really been to this date is like becoming okay with the process of not being perfect. And also like there's things in my newest single, Lonely, that I might go back and change. But I have to just kind of let that go and know that like it is how it is and it's supposed to be that way. And I've had like a lot of incredible mentors in my life who have helped me get to this point. Obviously, there's still a lot of growth that I have to do. Like, I'm not saying that I have everything figured out. (laughs) But like when I started, do you guys know Jenna Berry? Yeah. 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 Love her. I started working with her when I was probably around 14, too. So she was writing like my very first songs with me. And that was really important for me to like witness the way that her mind works with songwriting, because I feel like we all bring different kind of processes to the table yeah i always have to work with like an instrument i can't just create melodies what, like do you find it is that way for you too like do your melodies come first or uh i typically pick up a guitar or i'm at a piano and i start to play something and i'm instantly humming along like yeah that's I, me too i kind of my vocal melodies i i can't really play something without singing yeah, along and yeah and it's usually just humming or uh, not even word, just nonsensical words. And Kristen witnessed this uh, just a few days ago for uh, New Year's Eve. We were together <gasps> with some friends, and we all had to plan a couple activities, just some fun activities. Right. And one oh, of mine this. was to uh, write a song with Kristen and her two good friends. So I kind of was steering the ship, but I let them make all the decisions. Mm. And showed them kind of the process. And you even hummed out a melody at one point, Kristen. I've had the advantage of watching you write a song. Mm. So it's not necessarily that, yeah, I wasn't trying to replicate you because I don't have enough know-how to truly do that. But I 
was willing to kind of follow my tu- intuition oh, and see what yeah. came out. It's really hard. It is hard. But really rewarding when it was done. We yeah. were quite proud of ourselves to have written this song in a couple of hours or whatever it was. That's crazy. For the first time. But but you doing so many things yeah. and songwriting being relatively new, I understand, yeah. at least for it being a professional project. Did you want to do that as this is something else to speak the message or my values? Or was this rather... Uh, an escape perhaps like Mm. a creative escape from everything else you were doing at a professional level yeah it's a really good question I find sometimes when I get overwhelmed with like all the academic stuff that I'm doing because I find public speaking sometimes very academic like there's a lot of logistics that are involved with it same thing with podcasting and I work for my parents business so it's all very mathematical in a sense Mm -hmm. it's it's not it can be creative and I, I find ways to make it creative But I find with music, I would always kind of use it as my little procrastination. So if I didn't want to do like the hard work, I'd pick up the guitar and write a song. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, in in a lot of ways, it's been my escape because it came easier to me. Mm -hmm. And I had to really learn how to hold on to that because once you start going into the studio and producing music and then having deadlines for music. Like I would right now I'm doing writing sessions with Megan Smith Mm -hmm. and she's incredible. Her and her husband, Jason Mingo. Um, But you know, you'd, you'd, you'd go away from the writing session and have to come back with stuff. And, and when it started to get precious like that, and there was um, sort of like a, a pressure on the creative process, I found it more difficult to tap into that like flow state. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, and also not relying on that flow state. Because sometimes, like when I was procrastinating, I just picked up the guitar. It, I was really easy to tap into it, but I, ha- I have to learn how to write music even when I'm not totally inspired. That makes Did sense. you feel like for a long time writing songs made you present? Yeah, it did make me present because it was my way of processing. And I think every musician has ever said this, but it was my way of processing everything that I was going through, which, as you guys both know, was a lot, Um, especially back in 2020 when I lost my aunt um, in the massacre here in Nova Scotia. So I just had a lot of complex feelings and I didn't really know where to put them. They just felt so heavy. Yeah. And I think I also dealt with it by micro-focusing on other little aspects that were less important. So, you know, small problems within my friendships or my family, I would want to really develop those in songs because they were easier to understand than what I was going through, actually, and the trauma that I was experiencing. It was essentially a form of therapy. Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely it was. Because that's... And like you said, this is what a lot of musicians yeah. and songwriters experience. This is, they get to sit down in their own space, their safe space, yeah. and their feelings are poured out of them. Yeah. Like that paper or that pen is a yeah. therapist where they get to say all the things that maybe they don't want to say to someone else. Yeah, absolutely. They, and maybe you can hide in metaphor if you want. Yeah. Or maybe you want to be super literal. Yeah. But you have the opportunity to capture all those things deep inside you in whatever way you prefer to. Yeah. And and it doesn't have to be for public consumption either. Yeah. This is that's an important point. You can yeah. create that just for yourself and make a voice memo or never even listen to it again. Maybe it's just for that exact moment in time. Yeah. 
but it's it's a way to and that's when I first first started doing it it was it was 100% just a way to express things I just didn't really know how to otherwise and then it grows into different things and yeah it's a profession now so it's uh it's still that like there's still the the therapeutic aspect of it, but it has is, is grown to, into other things as well. But I think at the end of the day, that's one of the beautiful things of any art form you're creating. Yeah. You you can go into it with that mindset. Yeah. You talked about flow state earlier. Yeah. This is a hard concept, I think, to explain it to people. It is a hard concept to explain. But I'd love to hear your thoughts on like what that feels like mm-hmm. to you or what that means to you, how you might arrive in a flow yeah. state. And I really love how you said you're not relying on it. Yeah, I'm trying. <laughs> but that's huge. Yeah. Because I think there's a lot of pressure for us as artists to think that if we're not in that very specific headspace, yes. that the work will be reflective of yeah. that. So if you could talk a little bit more about how uh, that feels to you, that would be huge. This is something that I'm currently really working on. And I love what... I wish I could directly quote her, but what Megan Smith had said to me when we started working together, she said that that something that like songs were part of a collective consciousness. And if they don't come to you, they'll come to someone else. Yeah. Mm. So she calls it song catching. Mm-hmm. So we're there to catch the song. And it's kind of nice because it, it gives us a little bit of um, separation from it. And it, it takes the pressure off you as a person creating this and to think of it more as you're channeling it so that's what i have kind of come to visualize when i start my creative process but yeah that flow state i don't even know how to describe it it's almost as if and i've tried to look because i take voice memos of whenever i start writing and you can kind of hear it in the voice memos what happens Mm -hmm. because like the lyrics just come to you and I, it's not something that you think about really heavily. I'm sure you can relate to this. It's like there's not a lot of thought going into it. It's just they just come to be and then they are and they exist. Mm-hmm. And it's a really cool experience. Well, it's funny. Uh, I think two or three episodes ago, uh, we released uh, a full episode talking about my latest song, yeah. with my band. And I actually put in some voice memos yeah. uh, where... I love that where the song originated from yeah. and you can hear me just mumbling words yeah. and then one of those words ends up being the hook in the song isn't that so cool so it's my favorite part of songwriting there's uh yeah and basically uh riffing on what uh what uh, megan said there uh those ideas are are floating around in the universe yeah. and it's uh our responsibility to Put her antennas up yeah. and uh, absorb what's out there. And, and not just for songs. Like Kristen, I'm sure it's the same for for visual art mm. and movie ideas. I had a movie idea once and I wrote a treatment for it and everything just on my own. Never really shared it with anyone. And then like I just sat on it. And uh, 10 years later, I saw the movie come to fruition. Someone else. From like, someone yeah, else. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I find that really funny. That's happened to me too. Elizabeth Gilbert talks about this in her book, Big Magic. So yeah. Sort of similar to this song catching concept yeah. is that these ideas are floating around out there. And actually, I don't know if we've ever talked about this on the podcast before, but our book that came out a few years ago. Yeah. You and Me, Travel, Misadventures, and Love Around the World. That's huh. kind of the subtitle. And we were at our local library maybe six months after it had been published. <laughs> 
And we found another book that was more or less the same format. And it even had some of the same words in the title, like misadventure oh, around the wild. world or something. Yeah. And it was published within a couple of months of one another. These two books. It was a woman from the UK. Oh, wow. So it really proved this point of, yeah. yes, like, how is it possible that on the other side of the world, we were both having this same concept for a book? We would have written it around more or less the same oh, time I period. That's so cool. And and published it. So and I also listened to a podcast recently that had this the red car analogy is what they called it and said, how many red cars did you see this morning? Like on your drive here from downtown? Yeah. Probably can't can't remember. Yeah. Can't name that. And if I were to say, well, for every red car that you see on your way home, I'll give you $100, Mm -hmm. you would probably be really focused on how many cars you saw. And so sometimes as artists, there are these ideas floating around out there, but we're not, as you said, Mike, having our antennas up to catch them. So I thought that was a really good way to remind us that... There are this this idea of maybe writer's block or creative block and maybe be tailored to just paying more attention. Yeah. And just so like that, being a little bit, just surrendering a little bit, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. And to whatever's out there. Artists are naturally just more perceptive, I think. Mm. Like that's just the nature of someone who wants to create because you're, you're looking for inspiration yeah. often. And I've often been in scenarios where whatever I'm watching some people interact. I'm like that. That's a very in, interesting interaction between these interesting people. <laughs> and I'm like, that is, there's something there. And I'm, other people I'm with just aren't seeing that. And right. Just everyone's mind works a different way. But for me, I'm always looking for ideas. I'm always looking yeah. for stories, just things that can allow me to you utilize my creativity in the yeah. best way possible. So, yeah, I think we, we have to, we naturally have those antennas up because artists need, need to find those little creative inspirations. Yeah, we're more used to it, I find. But it's also interesting. You mentioned like searching for stories because when I started writing, I was writing fiction. Mm-hmm. Like I, my very first, the concept of like when I was 14, I started a concept album and I wanted it all to be intertwined. Like I wanted every single song to be like a little TV show and it followed the same characters. And so you could listen to it as a movie. Mm. And I I didn't really follow through with it. Um, But I was writing fiction throughout this entire time as I was creating these characters. But then it kind of morphed for me as I became a little bit more I became older and like a little bit more evolved in how I was processing my emotions and the experiences around me. And then I started taking inspiration off of the events in my life. Mm-hmm. And that switch is different because the music feels a lot more vulnerable and it's way more scary to put out in the world because yeah. when it's fiction, it's like, oh yeah, but like, it's not really about me. Whereas like lonely is really about me. Like I can yeah. relate to every single word that is written in that song. Yeah. And that just makes it a lot more vulnerable and scary because yeah, people can relate, but then they also see this piece of you that you don't really showcase to the world very often. And you're kind of just putting yourself out there in a totally different way than yeah. you're used to. Yeah, you're yeah. basically reading a page from your diary. Exactly. Yeah. For everyone to hear yeah. and judge and download yeah. and Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. it's your speaking voice alone is like a velvet cloud. So oh. You, oh my gosh, you're thank a you. natural you must be yeah, natural <laughs> singer. Just your voice is clearly your instrument oh, and your tool. That. So 
How has yoga factored mm. into your your state of mind or approach to creativity? Yeah. Good question. So mom, mom's been teaching yoga and creating programs forever. That's what she does. And I think it's been really interesting for me. That's such a good question. I've never been asked this question before. Um, but ever since I was young, so they own yoga in schools. So they write programs for the school system. So if a youth were to take Yoga 11, it'd be written by my mom, which is really cool because last year I got to take Yoga 11. I was like, oh my gosh, I saw her face on the manual and everything. Yeah. Really wild experience for me as a youth. Um, but I was, I grew up around people who were really emotionally intelligent and who were really in touch with their emotion, their feelings and their experiences and who were searching to understand themselves. And this comes from everyone that my parents work with. And I think that as a really young kid, it kind of shaped how I went to process my experiences and the tools that I used to to be more skillful in life. And I think one of those ended up being music. So like the whole yoga ideology it not only like shaped my psyche in a way, but it also shaped how I process things and use it as therapy. And I think that's why I was so inclined to pick up the guitar and start writing because I was really in tune with my feelings and my emotions. But the practice of yoga itself, um, I use all the time because I think because I'm so creative, well, I can be creative. I also heavily am an overthinker. And so I need a space where my thoughts don't follow me. And that's what the mat is for me. And I'm really thankful for that because I'm able to kind of disregard self-care, especially as I'm working a lot on different projects. I kind of push it off to the side and then I just become really dysfunctional. <laughs> so <laughs> yoga has been like my little piece of of a getaway that I can go to when I need space. It's That's really beautiful. special. Yeah, yeah. It's such a, a beautiful tool to have. And yeah. Would you say that your your self-awareness is something that you're witnessing in, in youth in general? And I know that you're an advocate for yeah. mental health and, yeah. and really working on that. Is this something that you see within your generation happening naturally? Or are, are you kind of separate from that and see a need that needs to be fulfilled? You know what? I really do think this is, you ask very good questions. I enjoy this. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's, it's, it's interesting because I was actually having this experience the other day where I was witnessing how, and I'm not bashing anyone in the situation, but I was witnessing how an adult in my life was dealing with a certain experience and a youth in my life was experiencing the same thing. And their ways of processing it were completely different. And I think it's probably the generational gap mm -hmm. that, that I was witnessing here. But I think that teens nowadays, we've done a lot of work. We have more, um, we're allowed to feel our emotions. Whereas like, I feel like the older generations just weren't given that privilege to deeply feel what they were going through. And so, yeah, I think that sometimes there's a bit of a separation with this self-awareness because I overanalyze things so much and not everyone does that, thank gosh, because it's a lot. Um, but people in my life are also very in tune with what's going on and it makes it 
really interesting to be in relationship with these people because you're able to sit down and have these hard conversations and you're able to kind of go back and understand where certain um, emotions are coming through and certain um, habits, I guess. Like all my friends are really aware of where they get certain traits. And I just think that's really cool. It's amazing. Yeah. And it's such an improvement from where where even we were. Well, yeah. At- when I was in high school, the term mental health didn't even exist. Yeah, yeah I bet you. Yeah. Like we, Interesting. We, like obviously people would get sad and, mm-hmm. and, and have, have emotions in that way, but... No one would ever say, yeah, my mental health is bad today. Yeah. And and if you said, if you, someone went back in time and said, oh, say this term in this situation, people <laughs> would just be like, well, toughen up. There. Yeah, exactly. Come on, suck it, suck it up. Yeah. So I want to ask both of you with okay. that thought in mind. There are many people that would argue we are in a mental health epidemic right mm, now. Yeah. Do you think, Mike, that that was true for 20 years ago when we would have been in high school and that it was just something that we weren't, as Sophia said, allowed Mm -hmm. to talk about or had permission, that it was still present? We just didn't have the correct language, perhaps, to talk about it. Or, Sophia, do you think that it is rather just a now thing? Like, this is a now problem. And I know that that may be unfair because you weren't <laughs> around when we were in high school, but just it's, we're, I'm asking yeah, it's from two different perspectives. Well, I think it would be impossible to say that uh, mental health instances didn't exist throughout time. Like, yeah. Obviously, they were they were there. Um, the language maybe wasn't there to explain it in the same way. But I, I feel like uh, with a lot of the modern technology, yeah. social media, yeah. all the things that put pressure on people that our mental health is much worse than it was 20 years ago Mm -hmm. um it's it's i think i think if uh the two the best of both the worlds Mm -hmm. could meet in the middle like that would be the solution yeah Um, like obviously talking about your feelings and being able to verbalize what you're going through and having support from other people like they're not going to make fun of you for it yeah that's a big one that's that's pretty important Mm. but also like i think the pressure of social media that Mm. a lot of people your age have now and that is just overwhelming it is studies i've seen that especially for teen girls even like there's there's so much pressure on you it's uh i can't imagine what what you're going through yeah you have to compartmentalize it a little bit because you can't, and I found this with like everything I do with my emotions too, because you can't fully be present to it, like the the entirety of the pressure that's being placed on you. And there's also ways to deal with it. So to your question, I would agree with what you said. I think that there was mental health issues in both times, but our mental health issues were different. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's why there is that generational gap is because you know, like my parents didn't grow up with social media, whereas I have, and they grew up with other issues that I can't relate to. So it's a, a matter of, of talking about it openly and being like, I know I can't totally relate to what you're feeling, but I see what you're going through. I think that's the main thing. But yeah, I would agree mental health has probably got, it's definitely gotten worse. There's just so many other factors now. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're connected too much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Was it making these observations that led you to want to offer public speaking, mm. to speak out about this, to yeah. have a podcast? Are, is there a connection there? There is. I think that I, when everything happened with my aunt, I went through my own mental health crises and I didn't really know what to do with it. I was lucky I had people in my life and my parents were in the industry of health and wellness so I had tools but I started thinking about other people in my life who were going through things that were just as bad and they didn't have all these tools and I had come to rely so heavily on my co positive coping mechanisms that I couldn't imagine my life without them and that's when I really thought oh my gosh it's not just me that's living through these really difficult experiences it's everyone else in the world as well and we need more awareness around this. We need more support, especially teens, because we have so much coming at us at once. It's so hard to process, especially if you don't know how. And so I think yeah. it's that education aspect of of really just providing people with the tools, take it or leave it kind of kind of thing. And just at least they have it. Right. And so that's kind of where my public speaking started. I it's wild. But the very first school that I ever public spoke to I was informed 20 minutes before that it was the school that the gunman had attended in his youth oh my gosh so it was a wild full circle moment for me and I just had a really interesting because we know there was a need for mental health within that situation as well and mental health support and I just thought while I was doing presentation I wonder I wonder if this is making a change. Like I was imagining speaking to maybe him as a youth. Mm. Like what if I don't? Yeah, it was just a really interesting experience. That for must me. have been a, it's a really emotional thing to yeah. hear. Yeah. What was your state in that moment? I, <laughs> I kind like I said, I compartmentalized my emotions, and I think that I still hadn't fully processed what I was doing mm -hmm. and now being older and looking back on it and speaking about that experience I realize how monumental it was and how wild it was that it even happened mm -hmm. to be that way but I think it, it it really propelled me to understand that there was a need for what I was doing and that first talk was so positively received mm -hmm. It really solidified my wanting to continue on that path of public speaking. And yeah, just it, this, the whole experience, the whole journey of public speaking for me has been really special so far. And it allows me to connect with my peers in a way that not a lot of, other, not a lot of others get to have. It's like you cut through all the pretenses and you just get to the core of who a person is. Like when you get, those youth coming up to you after a presentation saying, I relate to you because blah, 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 blah happened in my life. That's like their deepest thing that they've been carrying around and they share it with you in like the first two minutes of meeting someone and then you get to see someone. And it's just really special. Every single time it happens, I just, yeah, I don't take it for granted. I think we hear a lot about the impact of social media just yeah. as an example, but the experience that you had was absolutely unique. Yeah. I wonder if, you, if you're comfortable mm -hmm. yeah. to, to just for the sake of our listeners yeah. to explain this, this yeah. tragedy that your family went through. Yeah. 
just at the level of detail that you like. And then we can yeah. kind of talk about how that has led you to some yeah. of these more positive outcomes. Absolutely. So, yeah, back in April 2020, um, Canada was left in complete shock. We experienced the loss of 20, 23 victims um, in the largest mass shooting in Canadian history. And so my aunt was actually one of these victims. Uh, and I think that this entire, as you said, like it was just so incomprehensible. You don't think that this is going to happen in Nova Scotia. Yeah. Like mm -hmm. you hear about it on the news, but you don't actually think it's going to happen in your backyard. Mm -hmm. Right? So... That's what happened for listeners who, who weren't totally aware. Um, and yet it happened when I was 14, so I was still quite young. And it was a monumental shock to my nervous system. And on top of that, we were going through COVID. So I kind of internalized all of the trauma I was going through. And I completely self-isolated from the outside world. So I stopped being in contact with a lot of my friends. I had a dad who was know part of the aging population and I was so worried that he was going to pass away as well from COVID because no one could tell me that that wouldn't happen because the unexpected had happened to me right it had happened so no one could say oh that's not going to happen again and I think that that level of like almost fear followed me around for so long that I had to I had to learn how to sit with it and understand it before I could go back to my regular life which took me about a year and a half thank yeah. you thank you for yeah. being so honest about that of course yeah. because i think your unique experience was intense and yeah. profound and it was individual to you yeah but it's telling those stories that for others who may feel alone yeah and nobody else is feeling this can it at the very least recognize that somebody else at least felt that way at yeah. some juncture in their life yeah yeah and you also were able to take this experience and this pit of emotion yeah. and turn it into this buffet, as we said earlier, yeah. of really powerful, positive work for for teens and otherwise. Thank you so much. Yeah. What was that journey like to get from the place that you were during those COVID years yeah. to where you are now, a friggin' shooting star? <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh, that's really sweet of you. I, you know, it's really interesting because... Going through my whole process of grief, I found I wasn't grieving in the, and I'm doing like little, what are these called? Air quotes. Air yeah, quotes. air quotes. In the right way. And that was something, because I, I kind of was numb to it for, and I didn't really cry a whole lot. And I was like, what? I'm supposed to be like really sad. Like, why aren't I feeling all of this intense emotion? And I think it was my body's way of protecting me because it was just too large. But, um, so that, like the summer of 2020, I was actually able to do my very first like presentation sort of to a conference and I did it on trauma and teens. Mm. And I was able to speak so openly about it because I hadn't fully processed what I was feeling. And I think there was some pluses to that and some negatives to that because I kind of created this like dissociation with it. And I think that's why I was, I saw the need and I knew the need was there and I felt the need inside of me. Um, and that's kind of where everything was born from was this this ability that I had been granted to speak openly about it um, and also noticing the fact that 
there was a need I could respond to. And there was a place for my work because after the presentation on trauma and kids and teens, I was, I was so young. I was 14. It's still, I would love to get the recording of that and like watch it back because I don't know. I just would love to see what little Sophia was thinking in that <laughs> period of time. Um, but yeah, I think that that, that kind of solidified my, all my creative pursuits and I'm really happy that I was able to morph it into something positive and something for others. But I think it's because when you experience something so heavy, and as I was in therapy, like I, I did start processing it and it, it became a lot and I had to work with that. But when you experience something so heavy, it's almost as if you have to connect to something outside of you to lessen the weight inside of you. Does that make sense? Totally. Okay. And so that's kind of what I did with all my presentations was that, well, at least I can help someone else yeah. or at least I can do something else to sort of lessen this problem just a little bit. In the presentations, yeah. and I'm sure it changed over time, Yeah. but are you trying to give tools mm. to, to the audience and yeah. how they can cope with, with their own feelings? Yeah, so yeah. my presentations usually follow the format of, at the beginning, like I always give like a little warning and then there's tools there at the beginning where I say like how to deal with difficult emotions if we are triggered by anything I say today. So then those are some tools that I give and then I go into my personal story because I want people to know that like... I actually have a reason to be yeah. in front of you and I actually put this to the test. I call it um, mental health strategies from a teen who's tested them all because I have. Mm. <laughs> and so then I go into the portion where I give out, I think about 10 or 15 mental health strategies. Then mm. I created along with the Center, Ex Center of Excellence for Health, these little mini tool books. So I sell those or they're included in the package whenever I do presentations to schools. So the teens will receive little booklets with like a short summary of like the 10 tools that I give out and they can hook onto their backpacks. It was really cool. When I first created these, I gave one to my best friend and I, it's just like such a wonderful experience because like it, you have two lives. You have your professional life and you have your personal life. But she came to school the next day with it around her little backpack zipper ring. And I was like, stop it. That's so sweet of you because yeah. it's just, yeah, I felt really supported. But yeah, I do give tools when I do my presentations. What, what are some of those? Can you go into those? Yeah. So um, there's a lot, but maybe I'll name just like a couple. Like yeah. I do name it to tame it. So also because both my parents are, you know, in the business of wellness, my dad, he is an incredible leader of mindfulness. So I've been taught how to lead meditations, which might sound a little strange, but I put these, I, I some, like I do it in a way that's not weird. Cause like you can't go too overboard, you know, you don't want to be too out there with teens when you're in the school system. Um, but I, I'll, I'll get them to become in tune with what their mind and body are telling them. So this might be like, Oh, I have to pee or, Oh, I'm hungry. And then this is tying them into interception. And it's that piece of interception that I was lacking when I went through everything. And so that was a tool that I used was really becoming in tune with what my body was telling me because I had experienced such this disconnect from mm. my body. And so then once we name it, name it to tame it is we name it and we let it go. So, or we do something about it. So, oh, you have to pee, you go pee and you use the washroom, right? Yeah. Like that was that body disconnect that I was feeling. Oh, I'm feeling sad. Why am I feeling sad? How do I deal with that? That's, That's such a great example to yeah. use of I have to pee because we all can relate yeah. to that. But it, it sheds some light on what it's like to feel something in your body. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. Love it. 
So, and it's easy for them to like kind of internalize as well. Mm. Yeah. Um, Let's do one more. Well, okay. We have like a mantra. Mantras for me have been huge um, or like positive affirmations or sayings. And this one for me, I I was going to get a tattoo of it. I had to convince my parents really hard to let me get a tattoo. And then I kind (laughs) of chickened out. I may Hmm. still. Um, but After all that work and I know, convincing, huh? right? Right? They were finally like, okay, sure. And then I was like, go, oh, never mind. I'm not going to do that. Yeah. So it's like, okay, Sophia. Um, but it was, this too shall pass. Because I tend to think of my problems as if they are going to coexist with me forever and a day and they're never going to leave. And this period of time that I'm in right now is just ever going and nothing's ever going to change. That's the way my brain works sometimes. And that's how it did work during that really difficult period of time and so i adapted that mantra this too shall pass to remind myself that there is a time beyond this one and there is i'm living proof of it Mm -hmm. i'm not beyond it i i've learned to live with it but that too shall pass i've heard grief talked about in such a way that it's not something you get over but your life just starts to kind of grow around Around it it, yeah and i found that really helpful because having gone through challenges we all have in our life in the past, I think I assumed that that was the process that was going to unfold. Yeah. was, oh, one day I'm not going to feel this thing anymore. Yeah, it'll just go away. Yeah. And then, you know, so many years goes by and you're like, what is wrong with me that I'm still... Still and then you ha- it, it dawns on you yeah. like, oh, it's okay that this is part of you. Yeah. You just find out it's ways a part to of you. Yeah, and use that's okay. it in your life. Yeah, yeah totally. And that's what I say in my presentations too is that... I think we have this ideology that grief is a linear journey and it's not. Yeah. It's like really windy and it's all over the place. And sometimes you're all the way back at square one. Yeah. That's okay. (laughs) That's all right. I can't believe how wise and well-spoken you are as a, Grade, grade 12? Yeah, I'm grade 12. You're still in high school. Yeah, thank you. Like She's skipping school today. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I am skipping school today. <laughs> how, how did you get to this point in your life? Obviously, you have very supportive and wise parents. I have and really incredible parents, do you, yeah. do you read a lot? What do you what do you consume to to build your vocabulary, to learn all these little life lessons that you're able to give to other people it would honestly it's it's a huge influence from my parents and what's cool about what they've done with us is they've involved us in everything that they're doing and so like when we were young we were exposed to all of this and my parents are both therapists on top of their work so it's like we have many therapy sessions every single day we're always working through stuff and i do read a lot i read a lot of books um and i'm also really curious yeah. I like being curious. Thing, yeah. And so if I don't know something or I want to know more about a certain subject, then I try and figure it out. And that's kind of how I grow my understanding. But it also can be a downfall, right? Being like so aware and, and having so much knowledge that like I feel like I'm a hard person. Like I feel like I'm difficult for my therapist because like I'll go into therapy and be like, okay, this is what I'm struggling with. But it's rooted in this, this, and this, mm. right? So I think that that overanalyzing can also be very difficult for me because I have so much vocabulary. Do you yeah. relate to your peers? Yes. Okay. Um, I have a lot of different facets to who I am, mm-hmm. and I've learned to live like that because I do so much different work. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But like there's a different person that I bring to every situation. It doesn't mean that I'm changing my personality because all of the Sophias are still a part of me. But I know mm. when to be like, I was talking to my friend the other day. This is really funny. And he was going through some stuff. And like I have been around therapists my entire life. So, you know, I started like understanding it with him. And I was like, do you think it's because you have a lack of control in certain situations that is making you want? To? And he was like, can you just be my friend and not my therapist for a minute? I was like, I'm sorry. So I, I have to work to not, and I know the right moments to kind of be that Sophia who yes. does podcasts and public speaking. But I've also, it's a good question because I've, I've had to separate the two because and I've also found it really difficult to speak about my accomplishments with my peers because I don't want to sound like I'm bragging or to differentiate myself to an extreme extent. I guess this is all part of being human, yeah, though. Yeah. Like we're we're never the same thing all the time. Yeah. Like the way I would speak to an an elder, some yeah. an older person is not going to be the same way I speak to my uh, my niece or nephew. It's yeah. just we, we we change, and it doesn't mean we're we're being fake or anything, even yeah. not ourselves. It's just that that's just being human. Yeah, we, we adapt and we we grow and we learn and we we be who we have to be in every situation when, yeah. when it makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you... knowing when to put that different hat on yeah. is yeah. also really important. Because yeah. there, there's, I, I think that's a really smart distinction to have made that it's because there can be judgment in being uh, being that di on that spectrum of, mm. of, of it's not necessarily that, like you're saying, you're not a different person. Yeah. But there's an appropriateness depending yeah. on the environment that you're in and how yeah. you show up. And yeah. That's part of the fun, really, yeah. of being yeah. being a human. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's good. And so the podcast yes. is another collaboration with your mom. Because you guys yeah. have two projects together, don't you, we you do. and your mom? Yeah, so um, we do Girl on Fire together. But that, yeah. I, that's really hers. I, I love doing it with her. But, mm -hmm. like, she wrote this program for teen empowerment when I was really young. And so... I kind of came on as co-CEO because we wanted to lead programs together, which we are doing in the future. And then we have both the teen voice and then she struggled with her own stuff in the past. She struggled with anorexia. So mm -hmm. she has a lot of really positive coping mechanisms as well. So we have like kind of both generations. And when we took the same concept when we decided to start the podcast, because we wanted to attempt to help bridge the generational gap just a little bit. Um, because we see it within like mother-daughter relationships and you know we're not perfect sometimes we'll go on for that podcast and we just like had a big disagreement I have to be like hi Jen how you doing today you know like <laughs> mm. <yeah. laughs> uh, but it, no it's it's fun I enjoy working with her she's a great great little partner and everything yeah you have the entrepreneurial spirit and I read your sister yeah. as well is yeah. embarking on some of her is, own yeah. projects too with, with cooking she is an incredible cook and an incredible artist. Keeps you alive. Yes. Yeah. She cooks for the entire family. That's amazing. It's wild. Is she older or younger than She's you? She's younger than me. Wow. I know. Fascinating. She draws mandalas and they're actually like out of this world. Yeah. And she does custom shoes. So she paints shoes. Why not? <laughs> yeah. You guys and are caters. So that's, that's her family. She's awesome. I love her. Do you, do you imagine the years to come? Yeah, Do you could, yeah. want to pursue something like formal education mm -hmm. or run with this clear success that you're having in entrepreneurship? 
I'm sure you've been asked this question before. Well, yes and no. It's hard. It's a really hard decision and I'm coming up to it and I find there's so much stress and anxiety in me around it because I don't, I know what I want to do. I know who I want to be, but I don't know what path I should take. And I think, and everybody's telling me that's okay. So that's okay. Mm. But there's... There's a portion of me who wants to go to university, get a degree, maybe get, you know, I've been toying with the idea of a PhD in psychology. Um, But then there's the other portion of me that wants to just dive right into full-time work as an entrepreneur, as a creative, and just flow with that. So I think what I've come to is like a good place in the middle. If I can find a program that doesn't take away from what I'm doing with my entrepreneurial endeavors and also I enjoy doing and doesn't feel like work. Um, I'm not opposed to working. Like I do love academics. That's the issue. Mm-hmm. Um, then I, then hopefully it will feel aligned and that I will pursue like education and somehow collaborate my entrepreneurship within it. So, cause that's kind of the arrangement you have with schooling now. Yes. Yeah, yeah, this is true, but I don't think I'm going to get that in university. Yeah, I've been fair. really lucky. <laughs> Yeah, within the the French board, so within SEMA, they have an online program as well for students. And so I do half in person, half online, which has been super helpful. Mm-hmm. And the online course that I'm taking is been has been morphed to my needs. So right now I am writing a portion of my memoir mm-hmm. for my credit, yeah, which is super amazing. cool. Oh, like yeah. um which is also a project that I'm working on, but like I don't want to say too much because then it's like going to make me overwhelmed because there's so much to do. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's cool. Like I get to I get to have a mark for it and tangible work that I can then continue on with. So that's what I wish university could do for me. Yes. I don't really know. I don't know. Have, sorry, go How ahead. How do you know where to focus your energy with all these different things you're working on? I don't. First of all, I, that's I've, the struggle. Eh? Yeah, I, uh, I've been New Year have I've been like really like thinking about this a lot. I've been kind of analyzing what's taking the most out of me and what's giving the most return. And I think that's really important. Is there's some things that I'm doing right now that might not give be giving me as much return, and then maybe I have to let that go so I can focus on the actual pieces that are giving me revenue um, because yeah, I don't have a formal job right now. Like I, I do entrepreneurship for and music for a living. Mm-hmm. Um, that's hilarious to say. I am only 17, but everyone else has like a job. So I feel, you know, this is a job yeah. by the way. Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways. So I think that it's just like putting things in priority that you think are, are giving the most back to you is what I do. And also what I'm most interested in, I have a lot of like, I get a lot of like mini sparks of interest, like writing the memoir. I did that like all summer. Was it giving the most back to me? Not really, because like it wasn't really rolling anywhere with it. But now that I get a credit for it, I get to go back and work on that. And then it makes sense why I was working on it back in the summer. And that act of writing, writing down Mm -hmm. what you experienced, what you've gone through and bringing up things maybe you never thought of like yeah. that that can be uh 
a way to process things maybe you haven't yeah. or just to inspire you in different ways. Like maybe yeah. like, oh, maybe I'm going to write some songs that yeah. uh, correspond to this or whatever yeah. it may be. But yeah. I think I think writing in, in that way is such a powerful thing because a lot of time you sit down with a blank page and you yeah. have no idea where it's going to go and it, then it just goes. I love <laughs> writing. It's really special to me. Yeah. I think it's I think it's been like one of the main tools, like not even writing songs, writing poetry, writing short stories, writing anything, because it's so cool to see your ideas conceptualized on paper. I just find it really special. Yeah. Have your projects continued to feel therapeutic or mm -hmm. are you experiencing maybe the pressure of it being work? Yeah. Yeah. I think with everything, when you start out, it's like new and exciting and like, oh, I got this thing, you know, and, and you have a lot of passion. I'm not saying I don't have passion. It's just the passion has morphed into, you know, it's more complicated now. Like I have to make myself sit down and work and, and I work a lot and it's not, it's not just something that I do for fun. Like there is difficult aspects to it. And so I think it's just gotten more complex mm -hmm. uh, as I've, as I've gone along, but I've never really, like I, I would stop doing things if I wasn't fully interested in it. So I've not lost like my spice for it. Yes. <laughs> what do you do for total joy? I hang out with people. Yeah. I love people so much. Mm -hmm. And it's so interesting because like even when I'm so exhausted, I don't know how, but they just give me energy. And I, I try not to be reliant on people too. I think, and sorry if I'm rambling, but I think no. that, okay. Um, I think that, during that period of isolation where I didn't see anyone, it had a bigger effect on me than I thought because when I could hang out with people again, that's all I wanted to do was to be with people. And and I find now, like, if I have a weekend where I'm not hanging out with people, I, I just fall back into that loneliness. Mm -hmm. So they give me great joy, and I'm really, really lucky for the incredible people I have in my life. I have really supportive friends, and they're really special. Yeah. Is it a misconception? And I ask this based on this answer yeah. because I think we, Mike and I, would be under the impression that a lot of young people your age are antisocial or, yeah. or, quote, don't know how to socialize. Yeah. Is Do you see that? Does, does that feel true? Um, I think that we don't, some of us, we don't know how to socialize in certain situations. Mm -hmm. I think that we have skills and... We're also all works in progress. And <laughs> honestly, I've found that people have become even more capable in socialization, like as we grow up. But yeah, when we're young, like everything's all a bit wishy-washy and we're learning the best we can. <laughs> but I think that we're pretty good. That's good. Yeah. I'm happy to hear this. Yeah. yeah. What do you have in store for music? I know you're doing some uh, co-writing. So Do you so have exciting. any uh, new new releases coming out? She's not excited about it at all. <laughs> oh, gosh. It's just so cool that I get to say, like, I'm a singer-songwriter for the longest time. I never thought I'd be able to say that. And Lonely is racking up the streams, which is so wild to me. Like, I just, it feels like I'm kind of having an out-of-body experience with everything that it's going through as a song. Like, I, th I was happy if, like, a thousand people listened, like, a hundred people listened to it. I didn't really care that much. Mm -hmm. And now we're, 
like close to 10,000 streams, which is so exciting. And so um, in the future, I'm going to keep writing, um, still co-writing with Megan Smith as we speak, producing with Jason Mingo. So the hope is to continue releasing music like basically every month by June, have an EP, put out the EP and then do a live show. That's the plan. Yep. Amazing. Yeah. So excited for you. Is live performance something, have you done any live shows? So I only, I never, never have performed live my own original music, but yeah. I was on a TEDx with my sister because she also sings back okay. when we were 14. And like, I've been singing in front of crowds since I was really young, but never my original music. Yeah. So that's going to be really, really cool experience for me. That's going to be a completely new one in an yeah. exciting way. Okay. Where- you get to see the response of a crowd listening to what you created, some people singing along. Oh, like That is the most powerful thing yeah. you're going to experience, really. Do you have tips for live performances? To try to enjoy it. Okay. Like, it can go by really quick. Mm-hmm. There's um, just a lot happening. You're trying to remember how to play the song, yeah. the words, and how you look on... You're, there's so many little things you're focusing on that sometimes you forget to just mm-hmm. look out in the audience and take that mental picture and take it all in. Yeah. I think, yeah, just, just in the moment to try to actually enjoy it. Okay. Like there are a lot of things to focus on, mm-hmm. but I know, well, just, just knowing you in this conversation, I know you'll be very prepared. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> so yeah, just, yeah, just enjoy it and mm-hmm. just, be yourself. It's like, lovely. Let mm. let the music take you in whatever way. It, mm. Like everyone on stage has their own presence, yeah. and that presence is uniquely you. And just mm. let that let that happen. Yeah. You don't have to think about oh, should I move this way or anything. Just right. Whatever just happens, be. happens. Just yeah. Yeah. We had uh, Leith Fleming Smith. I don't know if you're familiar with Leith. He's a pianist in okay. Matmay's band and plays lots of solo work yeah. as well but he recounted his origin story of becoming a musician yeah. and how now as a performer he's pretty wild and like really flamboyant on stage and yeah. moving a lot and laughing and you know throwing Very his head back and I think in the beginning he was a bit self-conscious about that but it was when he allowed himself to be himself which sounds sort of cheesy advice at this point but it was really that embracing who he was and how his body moved is what has made him a star and so I thought that was just a really nice way of thinking how it's easy to follow rules or follow advice or but it really seems to be just tuning into yourself which you seem well versed in doing Mm -hmm. so that's use that skill yeah yeah I'm excited so you go by Sophia Ray I do go by Sophia Ray yes that is also my niece's name. Is it really? Sophia Ray. And my middle name is Ray as well. Stop. So I wondered where, <laughs> if your name has an origin story or if you're named after someone, because there's very few people I know with the middle yeah. name Ray spelled like ours. It was supposed to be Sky. Mm. Um, but then my dad was like, that sounds a little bit too, you know, Sophia Sky. Yeah. Um, and my mom, I don't know, she said it was because of my hair. She looked like little peach fuzz. And she also said that she felt... As though I was going to be a ray of light when I was older. Oh, I love that. So that's why she named me Ray. Yeah, beautiful. Mm -hmm. But I love it. It's like, 
And it's actually my middle name, which is cool, because then I feel, I don't know, like when I was starting out my artist journey, I was like, do I have to create like a different artist name? And I'm never like, no, just go by Sophia Ray. I was like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah made it whatever easy. you want to go by, and, yeah. and that is you. So. Yeah. 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 Then people know you as you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when do you hope to have your, your memoir complete? Is that a project that with a due date? <laughs> I am. Yeah. So basically I applied for this grant and I got it. And in the fine print, I had a, said something about writing a memoir. I don't know why I put it in there because now it's logistically in a contract, yeah. which means that <laughs> I have to finish it by March of 2024. So I don't know if it's going to be completely like finalized by then, but I will have the rough draft done by then because I need to for the grant. Mm. Are deadlines <laughs> good for you? Deadlines are amazing for me. Mm-hmm. I love deadlines. I think it's hard working within my own schedule because sometimes I'm able to put it off and not meet deadlines but i've gotten better at that because i I know how much is riding on everything that i'm doing Mm. um but yeah the memoir should be completed by april or may and hopefully do you want to release that or what what, what's your hopes with that yeah so the plan for the memoir i'm toying with like title ideas i don't really know like yeah i think it's fine but i was thinking like um, 18 lessons in 18 years because I'm going to be 18 in February. Mm. And so I want it to be like a bit of a self-help book at the same time. So it'll be for teens and there'll be space to kind of integrate anything that I've shared as well in their own life. And then that way we can kind of process everything together on our own little journey. You are an absolute force, Sophia <laughs> Ray. Thank and, you. Uh, I'm very excited to see where all these different things that you are doing will take you because I know it will be just uh, the the potential is unlimited there and you're you're already doing amazing things. So congrats on all that. And yeah, excited to see where this will all go. Me too, guys. Yeah, it's a true, reading through your bio and background, you obviously have an impressive resume, but I have to say, meeting you in person, you're not an intimidating energy Oh, you're let's go good. a very kind soul. <laughs> and, you know, yes, you're well-spoken. Yeah. Yes, you're educated. You're well-equipped to succeed in life. But there's something to be said for just having a softness about you as well. Yeah, thank you. And that's what I really see shining yeah. within you. So oh. thank you for showing up that way I, for us I today. I think that's at the root of yeah. everything you're doing. Totally. Like you want to help other people. Yeah. You want to take the lessons you've learned and implement them in ways that other people can learn. So. Yeah. You have a lot of empathy for for people. Yeah, yeah. your soul will serve you. Oh, yeah. yeah. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks for being here today, and congrats on everything. We can't wait to follow your career, truly. And where can people find you? Where's the best space? Yeah. So on Instagram, it is Sophia Ray underscore official. You can also visit my website at sophiaray.ca, and then TikTok is Sophia Point Ray. Beauty. Amazing. We'll add all those to the show notes. And uh, yeah, this is someone to look out for, folks. So keep following along. Okay. Cheers, buds. Thanks for tuning in. Bye, everyone. I'm walking down this crowded hallway. I watch the faces rushing past. I see the thoughts they hide behind. Fragile old